Our message today will be the third in this series from the book of Luke, chapter 3, in which we've been considering some of the men who were born into the direct foregoing lineage of the Lord Jesus. And as we've done in those earlier messages, we'll again ask ourselves the question, do the actions and the behaviors of one generation of people influence and impact the lives and the behaviors of the next generation and even to the ongoing generations? So before the message then, I would like for you and I to pause and consider this question in your life. I would like for you to just think back for a moment on your grandfather, grandmother, your father and your mother, and consider if their personalities, their personality types, have been in some way passed down to you, perhaps to your brothers and sisters. So then the question, the personalities and the personality traits of your grandfather, your grandmother, your father, your mother, have they impacted you in your own life? And then perhaps your brothers and sisters. I have thought about this for some weeks now, and so I have seen so much of my grandparents and my parents in myself and in my brother and two sisters. So then the next question, for those of us who have children, and then perhaps grandchildren, and in my case, and perhaps some of yours, great-grandchildren, has any of those personality patterns, behaviors, that are in your life, your spouse, are they now being worked out in the lives of your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren? Over these past few weeks, as I've had family visit with me because of the illness of my dear wife, I have been able to watch my family members and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and I have seen me especially and my dear wife in them. All the good personality traits came from my wife. This that difficult side that I keep seeing, they are... I did give them many things. Some things I do like, but most of them I wish I had not passed those along. And so then, this question that I read a moment ago, do the actions and the behaviors of one generation of people influence and impact the lives and the behaviors of the next generation, even to ongoing future generations? And then if that be so, then to what extent does that impact and that influence take place? Do we just pass along physical characteristics, how we look, even health anomalies, maladies, or do we pass along personality traits and perhaps even some simple behavioral patterns? How much do we, by our beliefs and behaviors today, influence and even write an indelible mark upon the DNA strands that we pass along to our children and to our grandchildren and our grandchildren's children. 
Because the third and fourth generation, as Scripture tells us. In an earlier message, we observed how God reached his mighty hand into the lives of these forefathers of the Lord Jesus and how he brought into fruition the plans that he had made long even before time began, guiding and directing the steps and the behaviors of so many of them. So today then, I would like for us, though, to look carefully at the way that God is also doing that with you and me, reaching his mighty hand into our lives and bringing about the plans that he has for each one of us and for each of our children and our children's children. So with that to consider, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to again read through this list of names. It is long and it is sometimes difficult to pronounce the words, but I do want to read these words to us, these names, beginning in verse 23 of chapter 3 of Luke. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthew, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of John, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthew, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elzi, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthai, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Johannes, the son of Reja, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kassam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Josie, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonah, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Minam, the son of Matthew, the son of Nathan, the son of David, again, these very familiar names here, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadeth, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serub, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalo, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. Now, here again, as we consider these men who are a part of the generational bloodline and heritage of the Lord Jesus, and as we look closely at some of the events in their lives, and we did that in some detail last week, we find that while many of these men showed very godly character traits in times of temptation and in times of pressure, even the strongest of them stumbled. Even the greatest of patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and others. But thankfully, thankfully, though each of these men faltered at times, God was ever and always 
intimately involved with them, and he was faithful to uphold them during uh, their times of struggle. I'd like to continue to remind us, as I've said so often in the past, God is not, as some church doctrines would insist, a passive observer, a God who waits and watches the behaviors and the conduct of men, allowing all the many things to take place in their lives, just hoping, just hoping that those things might at some point provide an opportunity for him, for God, to respond to their needs and then them somehow turn to him and him work out his plans and his purposes in their lives. Folks, that is not what God does. Not at all. A verse that I've quoted to us often that just speaks it so clearly is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Those words. Those words are so plain and they are so easy for us to understand. God is not passive. He surely does make plans. Plans that he will certainly carry out to their completion. And he has a plan for each one of us. For you. For you personally. And for me. For me personally. Plans that he made a long time ago. Long before even time began. And as I mentioned a moment ago, contrary, contrary to the many church doctrines that are believed out there today, it is simply too haphazard an enterprise for God to hold back his hand and leave the carrying out of his plan solely within the sinful, daily, <coughs> uncertain behaviors and the free will of men. If he had done that, if he does that, this thing that we call Christianity would never come about. Those doctrines seem to me to insist that God is just sitting out there somewhere in the heavens, passively allowing random events to take place within people's lives. Then waiting and watching and hoping. You get this picture of a grandfatherly old man that's just sitting out there somewhere in the heavens waiting and watching and hoping that you and I might utter some free will cry for help so that he can then rush in and save us from our sins. Folks, I have to confess to you that such understanding of who God is just does not make sense. My understanding of the way that God carries out his plans is that instead of just allowing things to take place in our lives that will guide us to Christ, is that he himself actually takes a very active role in carrying forward all of his plans, inserting his mighty hand into our daily lives, leading and guiding, directing our paths. As for salvation, recall those words in John chapter 6 where Jesus said, no one comes to me except my Father draw them. No one comes to me except my Father draw them. God reaching his mighty hand into my life, your life, and drawing you to the Lord Jesus. So when we hear ourselves or others speak about God allowing things to take place in our lives, yes, yes, there's a sense in which he does that. But he is so much more involved than we might think to being the one who even initiates and directs those things that take place. Yes, the happy things, but listen, also 
the sad thing. And yes, even many of the afflictions that we suffer, but then also the healing that we pray for. He gives that, the relief from all of our sufferings. All of those things. He has his hand in and he's directing it. Why is that so? Why is he so involved in every aspect of it, whether it be difficult things or happy things? It's because God truly does love us. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how he is a real father to us. A real father. His love is so deep and so demanding upon his own holy character that he cannot do otherwise. He cannot just wait out there somewhere in the heavens hoping that we might turn to him. It does not happen that way. Again, his love is so deep and so demanding on his character that he cannot do that. He must be involved. And he tells us that in the scriptures. Listen to these. This is Proverbs 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answers of the tongue is from the Lord. And then verse 9 of that same chapter in Proverbs, a man's heart makes its plans, but the Lord directs his steps. You and I make our plans, but he reaches out and directs our steps. And then one of the verses that I love and repeat often from this pulpit, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Folks, may I say again, God is not passive. He is intimately involved within all the moments of our daily lives. He's guiding and he's directing our paths. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that. The more years I spend on this earth, the more I realize that my next step, I need not be the one who's directing it. I need God to be involved in every one of my steps. But then a question has to be asked. What does God do about our personal responses and behaviors when those matters of our daily lives, and especially when our actions and our responses do not follow along with his plan? Does God just simply ignore the things we do in order to go ahead and accomplish his plans? We know the answer to that is no. The answer to that is no. God is wise and he is knowledgeable beyond measure. And this is where God's allowing of our behaviors take place. Yes, he allows us to do our own will. But then again, he also allows the natural consequences and accountability to follow along with our actions. And he tells us about things like that. He said, whatsoever you sow, you'll reap. If you sow discord, you'll reap discord. But listen, we must understand that within God's allowance, he is still directing the paths that we take. It's this mysterious form of concurrence. His will and our will somehow flowing together and becoming one. That's a form of influence and control that you and I can't comprehend. And our hearts question that. We say, well, if God allows but yet controls, how does it take place? And if he truly is always in control, then how often do we use that? God's in control. If he truly is in control, how can we be held accountable for our behaviors? And then even further in the midst of it all, we develop personalities and habits and beliefs then and philosophies that then carry on to the next generation. Does God hold that next generation accountable for that which 
they receive from us simply because they have our DNA strands coursing through their veins? I confess to you folks that I have only just a pittance of understanding about how God manages all of those things as they take place. But I do know that it is part of his holy character to only hold those who are responsible accountable, to place accountability where it belongs. One of the incomprehensible mysteries of the omnipotence and the omniscience of our Almighty God is that He is able to allow all of those things that we mentioned to take place all at the same time, but yet without difficulty also sorting out the ones who should be held accountable for each behavior. It's that, again, that mysterious form of concurrence taking place, His will and our will coming together, somehow flowing into one. And we can see that if we will take a step back from our own behaviors and look at His hand. Let me try to also put it in a perspective that I better comprehend. And again, for clarity, let me ask the question again that I asked already. Does heritage, those things that follow along through our bloodlines from earlier generations, have any bearing upon the things that are taking place in our lives right now? I see it clearly. I see my dad. I see my grandfather. I see all of them and how I behave now. What am I to do about it? That's another question. If it came to me in my DNA, what am I to do about it? You know, I can recall back some 60 years ago, the secular world was asking the same question. In our some class that I took in high school, I can remember them asking this question, are we a product of our heritage or a product of our environment? And in those days, I can recall the teachers saying, well, the experts tell us that we inherit about 35% of our personality, our behavior, and then we learn 65%. We do know that experts are not truly experts, but they give their opinions, and so this is somewhat probably close. But it's something, they have some truth of understanding in what they've said. For us as Christians, we consider these words that we read in these scriptures about behaviors being passed along from generation to generation. We're asking that same question, but we're asking about something else, something deeper. Again, the question, does heritage, those things that follow along through our bloodlines from earlier generations, have any bearing upon what takes place in our lives today? And so part of the answer seems to be apparent especially in physical matters. The medical profession insisting that if our mother had cancer, then we're also likely to be predisposed to cancer. The medical profession considers that absolute. Such health anomalies being passed along. But for us, the more important question that we're addressing here today is, does our DNA carry more within its strands than just health-related issues? Can matters of good and evil also travel along within the DNA strands? Can, will, does God bring consequences to bear upon future generations of children for the things done by their fathers and their grandfathers, whether those things be good or evil? Again, we consider 
much of this last week, but I would like for us to repeat some of the things we came to understand. First and foremost, folks, the answer to all of those questions must begin and end within the scriptures that we're studying here. And God has given us a very clear word about these matters, beginning there in the Ten Commandments. And you'll recall I use these words from Exodus 20. There the Lord says, For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, as we said last week, these words are clear. These words are clear, and they are difficult for us to understand, but they're clear, especially in light of the words that we also studied in Ezekiel chapter 18. So there in Exodus 20, God says, I will visit judgment on your iniquities to the third and fourth generation. And it seems as if, yes, that which my father did I'm going to be held accountable for it. But that's not what he's saying in these words. And in Ezekiel chapter 18, he says to us, the soul who sins will die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the fathers, nor the fathers suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And again, as we said last week, some would say these Two sets of verses conflict, but they don't. They don't. God has allowed certain predispositions to be present within our lives, within my life, within my personality. But just because those predispositions are present within us, it does not mean that we have to act upon them. He said, if you'll recall from Deuteronomy 30, he said, today I sit in front of you Life and death, blessings and curses, choose life. We can make this difference. Just because those predispositions came into my life through my DNA, it does not mean that I have to act upon those predispositions. Now, the simplest understanding of that point is the fact that you and I, you and I and every other soul that's ever been born, was born with a full-blown sin nature, a full-blown disposition to sin. And yes, too often, we give in to that sin nature, and we sin. But then, through the miracle of salvation, our sin nature has been defeated. And, then, and it's also been rendered powerless to cause us to ever sin again. Let me read these words again, and I want to stress them as I did last week. He says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation to those that hate me. But then there's this massive change that takes place at this point, going into the next verse. He says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So then, as I said a moment ago, just as our DNA holds us hostage to our parents' diseases and passes them along to us to suffer from them, so too does much of the sin nature that comes from our parents at birth. We're predisposed to sin, just as we're predisposed to cancer or some other health anomaly. But thanks be to God, there is relief from our sin nature. And it's simple. Relief is found in salvation 
and the sanctifying that comes through our living with Christ. And that's what he's saying here in this verse 6 in the Ten Commandments. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Those of us who have given our hearts to Christ, everything changes. Christ is our rescuer. He wipes away all of our sins, all of our iniquity, and he sets us free. And listen to this. He sets us free both from the causes of the sin, however it may manifest itself, coming down through the generational lines, or whether it manifests itself within our own personality. He has freed us from the cause of sin. We are no longer compelled to sin. Yes, we're tempted, but we're not compelled to sin, not since we have Christ. And we're also freed from the penalties that those sins would bring. Jesus said that. He said, when the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. That simple word at the end of that verse, indeed, completely, in every way. When the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. But this question that we're talking about in heritage should not be just about the bad side of life. What about all those good things, those good predispositions, godly heritage? And the answer to that question is yes. Godly heritage can be passed along through those generational bloodlines just the same as the difficult side of sin and sinful personalities. And that's what he's saying here in this verse 6 of Exodus chapter 20. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. To close, I want to share a personal witness, my personal promise that I've observed having to do with this. Some of you folks will know some of the people that I'm referring to here. Some years ago, in the wedding ceremony of Cully Newman, he's the son of one of my beloved co-workers at French camp, Ralph Newman. In his wedding ceremony, Bruce Hoskett, Ralph's son-in-law, gave Cully a challenge. That challenge was founded upon the heritage that Cully had borne into him. Bruce reminded Cully that God had put a long line of godly heritage within Cully's soul, especially coming from his grandfather, Dr. Paul Cully. Dr. Paul Cully was a medical missionary who had given his life, surrendered his whole entire life in service to Christ as a medical missionary. And then from there, that same godly heritage followed on through Cully's mother, Margie and through his father, Ralph Newman, and on along then to Cully. So in the challenge, Bruce reminded Cully that God had put that strong line of godly heritage within the DNA strands of Cully's life, and that Cully had a responsibility to carry that godly line on to the next generation, to his children. And folks, as I've observed those family members over the years, I can easily see that precious, godly heritage manifesting itself all throughout the Newman family line, the children and the grandchildren. Praise be to God. So then, what is the conclusion that we should draw from this question? Do the things done in one generation impact the future generation? Or, or does each person simply stand on their own? Are we an island unto ourselves? Folks, God's word here is absolute. Yes, we do receive many things from 
those earlier generations. And we do pass along some of our nature to the next generation. But thanks be to God, there really is a remedy. There's a remedy for the bad things, and there's a promise for the good things. Our remedy is faith in Christ. The salvation and the sanctification that comes from and through Christ, who will wipe away all those negative and destructive predispositions that are born into us, and he'll give us a whole new godly heritage to pass along to our children, and yes, even to our children's children. And he says to us there in Deuteronomy 6, he says, these commands that I give you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall speak of them as you lie down, as you rise up, as you walk along the way. Folks, that's what you and I can do with what God now has put into our lives. And we will then pass it along to the next generation if we teach it to them diligently. As he tells us in Acts chapter 2, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Let's pray.